0: Well, it is great to see you, everybody. very warm welcome to Kingsgate. Uh, great to be with you, those watching on from Kingsgate, uh, Cambridge. Why don't we give them all a clap and a cheer? Cambridge. And to all of you joining in online as well, really great to be with you uh, today. Um, hope you've been enjoying our sermon series. We've been looking at his cross, our freedom, how Jesus' beautiful, loving sacrifice on the cross has freed us from condemnation has freed us to be reconciled, and today we're going to look at how uh, his cross has freed us from uh, sin's power. Um, back in 2008, I became a teacher for uh, the first time, something of a career change. I was an accountant up to that point, point. Um, and I went to work for a company called Kaplan Financial, largely working out of the Nottingham office in Nottingham City Centre. Uh, it was the place where I'd done my accounting uh, exams, and the first six months of that job were the hardest thing I've ever had to do professionally. And I very much hope by the end of my career that will still be true. Um, and I can remember almost all of it. And I remember, in particular, the very last teaching day I had of that, s- that six months. In fact, I still shudder whenever I remember it. Uh, it was uh, with students of the esteemed accounting firm Coopers, or PWC, incredibly intelligent students under a- an-, an incredible amount of pressure. And I felt every ounce of that pressure being piled back onto me. Um, and none of that was helped. Uh, by a particular student, let's call him Kevin, to protect the guilty. Uh, Kevin did his best to ask me the hardest questions he could possibly think of uh, and then made it abundantly obvious to the rest of the class that he wasn't particularly satisfied with my answers. Well, I got through it, and let's just say by the end, not to put too finer points point on it, I just hoped that I would never see any of them again. Um, about 18 months later, though, I was sat at home about quarter past five, I think it was on a Saturday, And I got a call on my mobile from an unknown number. So uh, I picked it up, and there's a voice on the other end of the line said, uh, hi there, is that Mr. Webster? Um, I'm a student from Kaplan. I said, "Okay, hi, uh, please call me Tom. How can I help? He said, "Uh, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, My name's Kevin from PwC. I said, "Uh, oh, yes, I do, yeah. No, do call me Mr. Webster, actually, yeah. Um, How can I help? And he went on to explain that on that Saturday, he'd gone into the Kaplan building in Nottingham. While everyone else was, you know, lots of weekend classes went on, so everyone else was having their teaching in classrooms. He'd found himself an empty classroom, and he'd gone to do a bit of study for his upcoming exams. And at about 5 o'clock, he'd put his pens down, put all his books back in his bag, and he'd gone to leave the building, only to find that all the other classes had finished, that everybody else was gone, and that the double doors on the fifth floor that he was on were locked. And he realized he was now trapped in the building, at which point he remembered that a rather stupid uh, accounting lecturer 18 months before had given his mobile out to all the students uh, in case they had any problems with the exam. I was that stupid accounting teacher. And so he was phoning me to see if I had any advice for him, because he was panicking because he was locked in. I said, "Uh, sure, Kevin, here's your advice. Always be nice to your teachers and be sure your (laughs) sins will find you out. And I hung up on him. Uh, No, I didn't really. Actually, I was very happy to be able to say something on the lines of, Kevin, do you know what? You're not locked in. You're not trapped. You're actually free. And then I was able to tell him the steps he could take to go and live in that freedom. said, so if you go to the end of the corridor, ignore the double doors in front of you. They are indeed locked. Go to the end, you'll see a fire exit. If you push on that door, it'll open. There'll be no alarm. It'll lock behind you. Go down the spiral staircase. And I did that, just showing him what a spiral, even though we're on the phone and he couldn't see <laughs> And we got down, to, when you get down to the courtyard at the bottom, you'll see a, a security gate there, pretty hefty looking door. Again, it's open from the inside. You open it up, and he was following all this through as I was talking him through it. And I, I, I listened as he gleefully then went to freedom on the streets of Nottingham, and the security door uh, closed behind him. Now you see, Kevin thought that he was trapped. He thought that he was locked in. But all he needed was a revelation from a higher being, me. LAUGHTER <coughs> And I was able to reveal to him that actually, even though he thought he was trapped, in actual fact, he was free. And then secondly, I was able to reveal to him how he could live in that freedom. Now, why am I telling you about Kevin? Well, because I, like probably a lot of Christians, probably around that time when I first became a Christian, actually, I was in a similar position to Kevin when he thought he was locked in that building. It wasn't that I was sort of leading a double life or so lost in bondage to sin or anything like that. It was, it was more just that I just, I was so grateful to the Lord for freeing me from sin's penalty, but I just so struggled against sin's power. You know, I'd find like I was doing well for periods of time and then I'd fall back into sin and I'd get free. But, and, you know, I'm an introvert, there's a tendency to overanalyze and all that stuff, so probably I was being a bit hard on myself, but nevertheless, it didn't feel like You know, when the Bible talks about reigning in life or having victory or being more than an overcomer, that didn't seem true to me. I always felt like sin was on top and I was like a slave and I'd fall back into these patterns and feel like I was trapped. And I remember one particular seminal Friday night, I was um, alone in my flat and I was just kind of going through these kind of feelings in my mind, feeling rather trapped. And I was there reading a little book uh, by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life. I know what you're thinking. This guy knows what to do with his Friday nights. Well, there, there we go. And having feeling sort of bogged down and trapped, within about an hour and a half of reading that book, I suddenly went through genuinely crying tears of joy. And that was because I'd received a revelation. The book's about the letter to the Romans. And it was a revelation from a higher being, the Lord himself, Telling them that I might feel trapped in the power of sin, but actually, in actual fact, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I'm free from the power of sin. And as well as that, it was revealed to me the steps I could take to live in that freedom. And what I want to do is share with you that revelation today. And there may be some of you who are sort of even more trapped than me. You feel like you're so trapped in different cycles of sin, maybe even addicted. I believe today you're going to get a revelation to get free. There may be others of you, it's more like me. You just slip back into things. You just sort of feel on the back foot all the time. Well, again, it's a revelation for you to be empowered in the fight against the power of sin. Or there may be others of you that are thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. This message only doesn't apply to the sinless, okay? So if you are feeling that, your sin is pride. And today you're (laughs) going to get free from what we're looking at. So to help us then to receive this revelation, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. And in particular, I want us to consider two points. And the first one is this. We are free from sin's power. We are free from sin's power. You know, just to hear that can be empowering in and of itself. You know, think about Kevin, what he felt like in that moment when he thought he was trapped in the building. Must have been a pretty scary feeling, actually. You know, he's thinking, what do I do? Do I break the glass and try and you know, make my way out? Do I try the fire exit and set off some kind of alarm? Do I call the police? Do I just bed down for the night? But then when he got the revelation for me that he was actually free, even before I gave him any other information of how he could enjoy that freedom, just that alone could change everything for him. Change his demeanour, change the way he thinks, change his complete mindset. It would be empowering for him. And it's the same for us as Christians. And we receive that empowering revelation from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 begins with the Apostle Paul asking himself a question. After everything he's taught so far in Romans 1 to 5, he knows that various questions will come up in the mind of his uh, hearers and the mind of his listeners. And so he poses that question so he can answer it. And what he's taught so far is essentially what we um, learned about that glorious truth we learned a couple of weeks ago that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we're freed from uh, sin's penalty, we're free from condemnation, and therefore we uh, are declared righteous in him. And he knows that some people will raise a question as a result of that, and this is what he says. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He knows that people are gonna say, well, if that's true, Paul, if the more we sin, there's grace to cover it, does that mean then that I can just carry on sinning and there'll be even more grace to cover that sin? Or well, what's his reaction? Well, he says, by no means. And it's an emphatic reaction. You know, various translations say different things. God forbid, may it not be so. I love J.B. Lightfoot's, what a ghastly thought. Yeah. In other words, it's very emphatic. He's saying, no, no, if you think that, you've totally missed the point. You're asking, shall I carry on in sin? As though you're basically saying, am I free to sin? And what he says is, you're thinking completely the wrong way. You don't have to worry about whether you're free to give in to the power of sin. You've been freed from the power of sin. And he goes on to explain how. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Who's he talking about? He's talking about us, Christians. We are those who have died to sin, past tense. In fact, it's the Greek aorist tense. It refers to an event that happened once in the past, and that's it, it's done forever. We have died to sin. When he says sin in the singular here, it means the power of sin, that sin that's crouching at your door, that's trying to tempt you, etc. We've died to that. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? So he tells us when this happened, when we died to sin. It was when we were baptised into Jesus. Now, I don't think he's teaching salvation by baptism here. I think what he's using is using baptism. He's assuming that the Roman Christians will have been baptised as part of their process of becoming Christians. And so he's referring to baptism as a kind of shorthand for becoming a Christian. The same way I might say, when I put a ring on Becky's finger, meaning when I got married to Becky, you know, or for the younger people, I liked it, so I put a ring on it. I'll I'll explain the reference to Dave later. Okay. Okay. What I mean is then, I put a ring on her finger, meaning when I was united to her in marriage. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying when you were baptised, meaning when you were united to Christ. So he's saying you died to sin and therefore you're freed from it. He makes that explicit in verse 7 because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So you died to sin, you've been set free from sin's power when you became a Christian, when you were united to Christ. And this was the central thing, I think, that I realised reading that book, the thing that really was just a massive shift in my thinking, was that when you become a Christian, to use a phrase I think Dave Smith has used in the past, it's not just that God patches you up and sends you on your way, There's something much deeper, more beautiful, something totally changing, a complete transfer that happens when you become a Christian. You don't just go from being one person, sort of, um, you know, full of sin and forgiven of that sin, and then thrown back into the world to fight the power of sin yourself. No, you change from one type of person to another. You change from one realm to another. And this is absolutely central to Paul's thinking. And if we can get this into our heads, then we can really start to live in freedom from sin. I'm going to illustrate using two books here. These two books. This is an accounting textbook, okay? Uh, These two books are going to represent the two realms that we can be in before we're in Christ. So this is the accounting textbook representing our life before Christ, or as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, our life in Adam, okay? So it's an accounting textbook. This represents a fallen, horrible world, everything that's (laughs) wrong with the world. This is the best I could find, okay? Do you know, I did try behind Dave's back to try and get a Man City book, something like that. But all the Man City fans that I asked, they didn't have any Man City merchandise. I thought, no wonder they have to fraudulently fake their own sponsorship deals. It just all makes sense now. I wasn't planning to say that, but something changed today. But this represents then Our life before Christ, when you are born as a human being, you are born in Adam, okay? This is you, apologies if that's offensive, but this represents you. And when you are born, you are born in Adam into a fallen world. And when you become a Christian, It isn't just that God forgives you in Adam and leaves you to carry on in that realm. Rather, what he does is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he unites you to Christ. If this Bible represents Christ, he takes you out of Adam and places you in Christ. And you are so bound up and united with him that whatever happened to Christ happened to you. So when Jesus died on the cross, you old nature or your old humanity in Adam died with him. You're now completely new. You're now completely free in him. Everything has changed. And what does that mean for the power of sin? Well, when you were in Adam, you were a slave to sin. But now in Christ, you've been freed from that slavery. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that the Apostle Paul has in mind the story of the Exodus when he's uh, writing the letter to the Romans. And what he's thinking about is, if you think about, we did it a few years ago, if you remember, the Moses series where the people of God are being chased by the Egyptians who want to take them back into their old life of slavery. Do you remember how they get free? They get down to the waters of the Red Sea. They pass through the waters of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are buried. They're old slave masters. That old life of slavery to the Egyptians is buried in the waters of the Red Sea, and they go on to live in freedom in the promised land. That's a picture of what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is your old life in Adam, where you were in slavery, not to the Egyptians, but to sin. But through the waters, not of the Red Sea, but baptism, that old life has been buried and gone, and now you're free in Christ. And now you're free from your old uh, slave master. What does this do? It changes everything when it comes to the power of sin. You've moved from one realm where you're in slavery to sin to another where you're free from the power of sin. Let me give you a practical example. I mentioned before about my career change. I remember one day I went to go and see an old friend in my previous accounting firm when I'd been teaching for a year or something like that. I just meant to meet him for lunch. I loved that accounting firm. Sorry, I loved my accounting job in that firm. It was a great job. But there was one aspect of it I wasn't so enamoured with. There was a director in a particular department. I'm not revealing bad secrets here. They were a great person, great at their job and all that stuff. But they terrified me, OK? And whenever I had to go as an accountant and do anything for them, it didn't feel like a kind of director and a, uh, an underling or a, a boss and a worker or anything like that. It felt like slave, uh, slave master and slave. I was terrified whenever I got an email from this person or I went for the meetings or whatever. And they always gave me lots of stuff to do and I very rarely knew what to do and I was prepared for the question that they didn't ask and didn't have a clue for the question they did ask and all that kind of stuff. And I remember going back into the building, it was a new building, I'd never been that before, to visit this friend and I went up in the lift and as I got out of the lift to go into the department where my friend was to say hello to all the people I used to work with and so on and take them for lunch, I saw a sign for the department where this particular director was from and all of a sudden those old feelings started coming back, started to feel a bit panicky I feel, what if she comes out and asks me to do something? Tom, I want those figures by this time and so on. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. Hang on a minute. I don't work for this company anymore. I've passed over from that realm into a completely new realm. That person is no longer my slave master. They can ask me to do whatever they want or they like. They can ask for figures. I just say, pie. Do your own figures. I'm off to lunch. I don't have to be rude about it, but... They are no longer in control. They are no longer my master. I have a new master. And that's the same for us as Christians. When sin comes begging, when the devil tempts us into sin, what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he will flee. We can do that because we are new in Christ and our old sin life has gone. We are now free from the slavery of sin. doesn't mean we'll be sinless, but it does mean we don't have to fall into bondage to sin. So that's the first thing, we are free from sin's power. But the second thing though, how do we actually live in that? So if that's true, well, let's go and live in that freedom then. You know, it would have been nice perhaps if I just said to Kevin, you know, nice and empowering and all that kind of stuff, you are free, but it's much, much nicer if I follow up by telling him all the stuff of how to get free, how to live, how to experience that freedom. And as I probably made clear, I wasn't that enamoured of Kevin. But if I, as somebody who didn't like the guy that much, was very keen to make sure that he wasn't trapped in bondage and wanted to tell him he was free and send him off to experience that freedom, how much more does our loving heavenly Father want us to know we are free and then to go and experience that freedom? And so the Lord, through Romans chapter 6, doesn't just tell us we are free and leave us to it. He tells us how we can go and experience that freedom which Christ has already purchased for us. And by the way, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got the Easter services. Often at Easter, we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and freeing us from the penalty of sin. Do you remember, for those people out there, they might not call it sin, but they know they're trapped in hurts and habits and hang-ups that they hate, that they don't want to be in bondage to. And when we give out these invitations and invite them to Jesus, we're inviting them to come and know the Lord, to come and know a heavenly Father who wants to free them from those things, just as he wants to free us. So the second thing then, let's go and live in that freedom. Well, just as I told Kevin there were things he had to do. Yeah, go through the fire escape, go down the spiral staircase, go out through the security door. So the Apostle Paul tells us there are things that we need to do to experience the freedom that we have from being united in Christ. He tells us there are some things we've got to know, that there are some things that we've got to consider, and that there are some things that we've got to offer. First of all then, there are some things that we've got to know. He says this in Romans 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, what he's saying is, if we're going to embrace all this and experience the freedom that we've got, all that stuff that Tom's just been talking about in point one isn't just sort of theological gloss or pretty things just to put on, you know, embroidered Um, pillows in Christian homes or anything like that. It's something we've got to embrace for ourselves. We've really got to know it. You've got to know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, that stuff has got to become a personal revelation for us if we're going to experience that freedom. So that's my question. Do you know that you've been crucified with Christ, that your old life has died, that you've been raised to a new life and you're now free from the power of sin. The apostle Paul knows it. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. My question is, do you know it? If you're going to get free, it's got to hit you as a revelation. Many years ago, I remember Terry Virgo asking a congregation a question. I want to ask you the same question because I thought it was really profound. By show of hands, and you can do this in Cambridge or online, even if you're alone in your living room, please do join in. Um, I want to know how many of you here believe that when Jesus died, there were two thieves who were crucified with him? How many people by show of hands believe that? It's not a trick question, okay? Why do you believe that? I know why you believe that. You believe that because the Bible tells you that those thieves were crucified with him. Well, the same Bible tells you that you were crucified with him as well. You have exactly the same reason for believing that you died with Christ on the cross and therefore have been freed from the power of sin as you have for believing that those two thieves died with Jesus. So that's the first thing. We've got to accept that as a revelation. We've got to change our thinking before we can change our actions. But as well as knowing things, we've also got to consider some things. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 11. So first we've got to know that we're dead to sin. And then verse 11, so you must order, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The difference between knowing and considering, or in the older versions, reckoning, is profound. To know is just a case of having the knowledge. It's, you can have the knowledge, but not necessarily act upon it. You've got to do more than just have the knowledge. You've got to embrace it. You've got to reckon it. You've got to consider yourself dead to sin as well. To go back to that previous example, my old director could have come out and told me what to do. I might know that I'm in a different realm and she's no longer my boss anymore, but I could still, just through fear or whatever or with the old feelings, do whatever she told me. It's not enough to know she's not my boss. I've got to reckon, I've got to consider myself not hers, and I've got to uh, resist. So it isn't enough to know. We've got to consider ourselves dead to sin as well and act accordingly. And then the final thing we've got to do to experience the freedom is we've got to offer some things. So we've got to know we're dead to sin, we've got to consider ourselves dead to sin, and then we've got to offer ourselves some things. In other words, if you only take it this far, there is a danger of it just becoming about revelation, about theological truth. But actually, in the fight against falling back into uh, bondage to sin, there are some things we've got to do. We can't just be all action and no theology, but we can't be all theology and no action. So in other words, what he's saying is, having got your thinking right, now the stuff you've got to do. There are certain things you've got to deny yourself. There are certain things that you've got to offer your bodies for. If you think about your bodies, they are instruments. Yeah, We can use our hands for good. We can use our hands for wickedness. We can use our eyes for wickedness. We can use our eyes for good. In that little um, book, uh, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, he gives a little example of a, uh, a Christian on a train. And there's some guys in the carriage near him and they're playing poker and they're drinking and they're smoking and they're telling bawdy stories and so on. And he sees them with their gambling and he's watching and they notice that he's watching and one of them says, do you want to join in? And he says to them, do you know, I'd I'd love to join in but unfortunately I don't have any hands. And they look over him rather puzzled and they say, okay, well, what are those things on the end of your arms then? And he says, oh, these, oh, these aren't mine. No, these belong to the Lord. In other words, what he's understood is that he's not to take those hands that he's been given by God himself and use them in wickedness, in gambling, in drinking, in smoking, and so on. What he's got to do is take those hands, they belong to another, offer them up to the Lord and to his service. And we need to do this. If we're going to experience true freedom from the bondage of sin, we've got to know that we've died to sin. We've got to reckon ourselves or consider ourselves dead to sin but we also need to deny uh, wickedness any of the parts of our body and offer them up to the Lord as a sacrifice. We've got to use our eyes for things like gazing on the Lord's creation or reading our Bible and not for looking lustfully at somebody else. We've got to use our hands to be busy in the Lord's work and not for downloading pornography on our computers. We have decisions to make. There are things we've got to do once our thinking is straight if we're going to get to live in that freedom that the Lord has for us. And so the Lord has made us free. He has sanctified us. He has freed us from the power of sin on the cross. But if we'll pledge to do these things, we will also be able to live and experience that freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you want us to be free. That not only have you freed us from the penalty of sin by sending your son to the cross, but by uniting ourselves with him You have freed us from sin's power, Lord, that we might all be able to live in freedom. Lord, will you come and will you minister to us now in Jesus' mighty name? Amen. Amen. I'd love it if you could all stand so we can respond together. I want to pray or lead us in a response for two things in particular. Number one, I want to pray for a revelation to truly hit us that we'll know that there has been a transfer, a change, a realm change when we became Christians, that we already have died to the power of sin, that that's true positionally before the Lord. And that once we've got that straight, I want us to pray that we'll be empowered to make a pledge that we will not offer the parts of ourselves to wickedness, but rather of instruments to righteousness. So, if you're comfortable, if you wouldn't mind just placing your hand on your heart right now and closing your eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody here today. I pray for everybody watching on Kingsgate, Cambridge. I pray for everybody online as we respond right now. Lord, I pray that you'll come by your Holy Spirit and give us a revelation that when we became Christians, when we were baptized, that our old humanity died in you and that we have now been raised that our old slave master sin, that we've now died to that sin master. We now have slave master. We now have freedom in Christ. Now I pray that we will know that where the devil tricks us into thinking we're just like we were before and that we must obey and that we must give in to the power of sin. We you come and let us know that we have already been freed from that. All we need to do is start living in it, Lord. Lord, I pray that we'll know that. I pray that when temptation comes, we will reckon that, we will consider that. And Lord, I pray that you will empower every single one of us right now to turn away from giving the parts of ourselves to wickedness and rather offering ourselves up, the parts of our body, our eyes, our hands, our feet, our hearts to the Lord, that we might get busy in doing good things for the Lord, that we might be free to do his work, free to say no, free to turn away from that which is wicked and to turn to that which is righteous. Lord, I pray particularly for anybody here who's been stuck in addictive patterns and patterns of bondage to sin, where they're under sin's tyranny, Lord. Lord, I pray you'll give them that revelation and you'll help them right now to be empowered to say no. Of course, there's more to come. There's accountability to talk about. We couldn't cover everything of overcoming. So I would suggest if you are stuck in those addictive patterns to talk to somebody, to get help. But Lord, we pray right now that this will be a line in the sand, a moment where they can come to the Lord, receive his power, receive healing, make that pledge to change things. And as part of our response right now, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. It's called, Come to the Altar. And I want you to imagine that altar is where you're coming to lay down sort of actively any of the ways you've been offering the part of yourselves to wickedness. So almost like an act of repentance in your hearts, in your mouths as you sing this song. And instead to offer the parts of yourself to righteousness, to sing these words, almost to make that pledge. And it's, it contains the words coming to the Father. So you're not doing this on your own. You're coming to a loving heavenly Father who wants you to be free and wants you to get free and wants to empower you and wants you to live in that freedom. Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that this will be a solemn moment, a line in the sand moment. There'll be many people in this congregation watching online in Kingsgate, Cambridge that will be free from the power of sin. So Lord, will you come by your precious Holy Spirit and minister to us as we sing in Jesus' name, amen.